Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 252 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam. I'm joined by Jill. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. This is a busy, busy week. It is a busy week. Um... Well, the week we're recording this is a yes. busy week. We always do that. We're recording on a Thursday. This comes out on Monday. Um, do you want to talk about the fun thing you did uh, yesterday <laughs> first, or do you want to talk about the episode first? We can talk about the episode first. Okay, so tell us what the episode is, because this one is all you. So I got to interview Gail Honeyman, who wrote Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine, which was a huge book that came out um Last year, I believe. Yeah. It's in paperback now, so she's just sort of doing a new press tour. And we got to speak with her. Um, the book, people here love that book. Mostly the librarians that I'd worked with um, on my previous team. So this was a really exciting conversation to kind of talk with her about where she got the idea from and the writing process. Um, this is her debut, and it did extremely well. <laughs> yeah. This is definitely, I feel like... This book showed up the most on our internal, like, various recommendations for the last year. Yes. Like, this popped up the most. Also, I love the idea that um, a lot of times when we are fortunate enough to interview very big authors, yes, it's a great experience for us and it's a great experience for our listeners. But a lot of times those books you'll then have to wait for, like, eight months, depending on your library. But this one, like you said, because the book is out for a while, like, yes, there's a paperback version now, but... The digital version is still there. Correct. So it's uh, uh, it's likely that your library has available copies now. Yep. Which is awesome. 100%. So. Um, okay. <laughs> you wrote a an article online that touched a nerve with some people. Okay. So I um, wrote a piece for Tor.com, which for those who don't know, it's T-O-R.com is a science fiction and fantasy website. They are also a publisher, but they do have a website where they just post various science fiction and fantasy-related news. And I've written pieces for them before. But this summer, if you were somehow not aware, is the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone here in the United States and Canada. And um, I wrote a piece saying why Harry should have been sorted into Slytherin. And fun fact... People don't really like it being suggested that Harry should have been in the quote-unquote bad house. <laughs> Fun fact. Fun fact there. It's so, it, it's so funny to me because there, like, there's this common misconception, like you said, that it's the bad house just because of the story arc that the books follow. Um, but it's just like you've met like three people consistently from Slytherin. In the books, really. I mean, like, you meet a lot of them, but, like, better. Oh. Go ahead. Hot take. JK totally has it out for us. I don't care what she says. <laughs> she does not like Slytherin. <laughs> and. <laughs> Go on. That... She just doesn't like Slytherin. Uh-huh. I don't care what she says now. I'm sure now she sort of has had to walk that back. But trust me, she does not like Slytherin. Yeah. 
I mean, they... I love you, JK, but come on, let's be real here. <laughs> yeah, we know you're listening, Joe. Um, <laughs> they <laughs> they absolutely get like. There's so many times where they just get sh- shafted for no reason. Like at the end of the first one, when it's not even it's not even that. I'm not gonna go on a rant about this right now. Maybe another episode. Okay, well, all right. JK has it out for us, all but. Right. No, because I could seriously spend the next 20 minutes mm-hmm. and they don't want to listen yeah. to that. Yeah, I know there's definitely this, like, there's these stereo, it's hilarious to say stereotypes of fictional magical schools houses, but there is. I was actually talking to a Instagram influencer that will be on the podcast later when we talk about Harry Potter, uh, and she said most of her family is also Slytherin, so I told her about this article and she laughed, and then uh, she said something, like, off the air. She's like, yeah, I mean, like, at least it's not Hufflepuff. And I was like, same thing. See, common misconception that like Hufflepuff is bad. And I told her, I was like, we have in our office, because we're all, everyone here is librarians and developers. I feel like we have the largest collection of Hufflepuffs. We do. We do have a around. Good And there's nothing wrong with Hufflepuff. I love Hufflepuff. I just get, I just get very frustrated with, because like, that's the thing. Like, I don't know if people would have reacted so strongly if a Hufflepuff had suggested that Harry, okay, wait, hey, let me actually rephrase this. I don't know if people would have reacted so strongly if someone had suggested that Ron should have been in Hufflepuff or Hermione should have been mm-hmm. in Ravenclaw because, come on. But those are both accurate. Correct. And so, but something about Slytherin? Mm-hmm. Telling you. Yeah, I, so if people want to to see that, you can go to our Twitter at ProBookNerds or you can find Jill on Twitter. If you go to the ProBookNerds Twitter, both of our personal handles are in there so you can find it. Go check it out. Go visit the tour page so that Joe gets more views so that she can write more <laughs> articles for them. Because, um, spoiler alert, Joe and I both do freelance. And the more people who see our stuff, the more often we get to write, uh, which is fun. So you can find us at ProBookNerds on Instagram and Twitter. You can visit our uh, website, ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Um, nope, ProfessionalBookNerds.com. Our email is ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Um, and to the several people that left us ratings over the past week or so, thank you. We appreciate it. If you guys want to leave us a five-star rating and a quick review, that's always fun. And iTunes helps people find us a little bit more easily. Um, Big Library Read Voting is over. We'll be announcing the winner of that soon. Is there anything else that you can think of? No. Okay. Very shortly, we'll have a really cool, speaking of Harry Potter, there's a really cool thing that Overdrive is doing that we can talk about probably in about a week that is very, very exciting for everyone in the uh, North America. So, uh, okay. Nothing else, right? We're good here? I think we're good. Okay. I hope you guys enjoy this interview that Jill did on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi everyone, this is Jill, and with me today is Gail Honeyman, debut author of Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine, which was shortlisted for the Lucy Cavendish Fiction Prize as a work in progress, and it went on to win the uh, Costa First Novel Award and name one of the Observer's debuts for 2017. Gail, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, Jill. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine? Sure. Um, so, I guess, spoiler alert, Eleanor Olsen is not completely fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's uh, she's 29 years old when we first meet her. She lives in a city. She lives in Glasgow in Scotland. Um, she has a job in an office and she has an apartment. Um, so, on the surface, all looks well. 
Um, but we come to find out um, about what's happened to Eleanor to make her the way she is. And the way she is when we first encounter her is that she's someone who's learned how to survive, but not really how to live, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, interesting, um, you know, it's sort of the book kind of asks the question of, of nature versus nurture in terms of our, mm-hmm. our personalities and, and what makes us what we are, you know, did her background, like why, I mean, that's sort of the heart of the, the story, right? Like, why is she the way she is? And, and exactly, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, so I remember reading somewhere that you knew sort of what the ending of the book would be, but you, you weren't entirely sure how you were going to get there. Is that right? Yeah. I I don't think it's a very efficient way to write a novel, but uh, it worked for me. (laughs) I knew, um, I knew where we would first encounter her and there's a, I won't spoil it for people who haven't read it, but there's a a piece of information that's revealed right at the very end. Mm -hmm. I had no idea when I started writing how I would get from page one to page 290 or whatever it is and um, when that information is revealed so it was a it was um a very enjoyable process as I say not particularly efficient perhaps um but that's the way it works for me I guess did you have any plotting at all or did you just have point a and then point b and then you just sort of I just, exactly that one that just point a and point b and then um it's like it's a very it's a character driven novel mm-hmm. you know I, I spent a lot of time before i started writing i spent a lot of time thinking about the character and particularly the voice and trying to get those right um because it, i mean it's not a it's not a spoiler to say that there isn't really much plot in the novel right. you know not, not not a lot happens she gets a haircut she goes to a party, you know. They're they're not. It's not um, exactly a roller coaster ride plot wise. It's all character driven and all voice driven. So I spent a lot of time thinking about those things, and then allowed them to to, to drive the narrative as I wrote it. Um, I also, as a first time novelist, it was a bit of a revelation to me to realise when I got to the end, you don't just get one shot at writing it. You know, it's not like it's perfect first time, right. or you have to throw it away. Right. So it was. It was great once I got to the end to be able to go back and to and to, you know, change the pace of certain sections to start to seed in little hints about certain things that happen, uh, all that kind of thing. That probably sounds really basic, but um, as I say, it was all new to me, so that that was a big uh, and very welcome learning point. <laughs> no, I think that's actually a really good point because one of the things I was going to ask you about and um, wanted to talk to you about was the fact that you, um, you know, you started writing this when you were in your, like, close to turning 40. Um, And so you have, you know, this is all kind of new to you, and this book is this huge bestseller. It was this big auction to to have it published. Um, Like, what is that like as someone who sort of maybe started a little later, and then it just became this whole big thing? Yeah, it still it still hadn't sunk in actually. To be honest with you, um, I, I still I'm still pinching myself. I I mean, when I started writing, I started writing uh, short fiction, short stories. Which I mean, it's not easier to write those technically. In, in many ways, it's more difficult, but um, it's more it's more achievable. You can you can start and finish a short a piece of short fiction in a in a reasonable time frame. And I always wanted to, I wanted to write a novel. I just wasn't sure 
whether I could grapple with a with something of that scale, you know, a short piece of short fiction is 2,000, mm-hmm. 3,000 words, a novel's 80 or 90,000 words. So really, what all I intended when I started to write this novel was to see whether I could, whether I could start at the beginning and get to the end and, and, and complete something um, of that on that scale. And so I, I, you know, I, I never in my wildest dreams expected that someone would want to publish it and then that um, it would be published in other countries and... You know, as I say, it's still um, it's a bit of a cliche, but I'm still I still pinch myself when I when I think about it. And you know, as you said, you know, when you got to the end, you realized that you could go back and change things or edit things. Like there's this whole process that comes after you finish the first draft. Yeah. Was there anything else about um, the writing or the publishing process that you discovered along the way? Um. The main thing I discovered about the writing process is that I I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> um, it it's it's very hard work, but I I absolutely love it. And um, publishing that's been a huge learning curve for me, and especially to see how many incredibly talented people are involved in mm-hmm. um, publishing a novel from the time when when I finish writing it to having it available in, in a store for someone to buy so many talented people involved in, in making that happen so it's been it's been great to find out um I wanna... or a store or, or on a library in right. a library yes i should say yes of oh, course yeah. <laughs> yes we do love our libraries um yeah one i want to circle back to something you um commented on earlier which is that it's not a very plot-driven novel. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things I really love about it is that how very ordinary it is in that it's just sort of the experiences and challenges of this one particular person. And I think we need more books like that where there's not a lot of flash. It's just a glimpse into an individual's life. Um what is it about one, you know, like, because it was so character-driven, what was it about Eleanor and her story that made you want to write it that way? Um, it's quite a difficult book to talk about without giving away spoilers. Right, well, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, I guess Eleanor's life has been, we find out over the course of the novel, everything that's happened to her to as you said in your introduction to make her the way she is mm-hmm. why she we find out why she is who she is and how she is um and a first person narrative is a real uh potentially a real luxury for a reader because unlike in real life you basically have a 360 degree view of a character's motivations thoughts feelings intentions and Although the novel touches on a lot of very serious and and dark themes, I also I hope I try to make it uh, quite humorous as well and include humorous situations. And one of the the joys of a first person narrative is that you can see the difference between how a character, what a character's intentions are, and what their thoughts and feelings are, and how the other characters they encounter, who don't have the luxury of that three hundred and sixty degree view. Um, misinterpret those, right? And so all kinds of all kinds of drama and narrative possibilities can arise from that, including humour. So I think the first person narrative was the the choice that I made to really allow readers to 
see everything of Eleanor and understand her and hopefully through that, even though she's a difficult character, a prickly character, she can be quite a rude character, um, they can they can empathise with her because of that, because they know her intentions are, are good. She doesn't intend to come across the way she comes across. Does right. that make sense? It does. No, actually, that's a good follow-up to my next question, which was that I was reading an interview um, or uh, where you um, mentioned that she was partially inspired by Jane Eyre, which when I read that made perfect sense because Jane is also sort of a somewhat um, prickly character of sorts and mm-hmm. isn't always really understood necessarily. And you also get that, you know, you see her story internally and then, but her motivations, we know her motivations, but outsiders don't always understand her motivations. Yeah, I think um, um, Jane Eyre is a novel that I absolutely love and I've read it many, many times. And I reread it again before I started writing Eleanor Oliphant. And it was interesting to me reading it. When I read it as a young person, um, it was very black and white. So mm-hmm. I just completely sympathised with Jane and just think, why, why are these people so mean to her? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm reading it again as an adult. I do still think that. I mean, my sympathies are still entirely with Jane and she doesn't deserve any of the things that happened to her but um, I could un- it was a bit more nuanced as an adult I could understand why some of the adults she encounters don't particularly warm to her because she's not a charming child she's not a, you know to use a contemporary term she's not a people pleaser right. um, she's very independent she has a lot of characteristics that um, were not desirable particularly at that time in history in a, in a particularly with a female character so it was, it was a bit more nuanced that way. And as you say, I think it's exactly that, the mismatch between with a first-person narrative, the reader understanding why the character is the way she he or she is, and the other characters in the novel taking Jane Eyre or Eleanor at face value and just being a bit baffled and offended <laughs> by them. No, yeah, no, I think, that's, I think that's entirely accurate. And I think, you know, you can only sort of hope that after reading this book um people can kind of take that experience out into the wider world and if they meet someone who um they are baffled by they can maybe sort of not try and interpret their motivations but understand that there's probably something going on internally that that we don't know that this you know that's why well, this other person. yeah i mean it's human nature isn't it when you encounter someone and their behavior seems challenging to you Mm -hmm. it's human nature just to try and you know uh, it's not it's not our first response isn't necessarily to think wow i wonder what's happened to that person to make them like that or you know right so yeah it's helpful it's helpful to be reminded of that I should, I should say as well, I'm, I'm in no way comparing my novel to Jane Eyre. It's, that's oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Just, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't think you were, but I... I good, I, good. I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't, I didn't think you were. But I did think it was an interesting comparison, though, in that, mm-hmm. I mean, I could see how... Um, because what you do, you're, you're right. When you read Jane Eyre, when I read it when I was younger, it was very black and white, and then as you get older, you kind of start to see the more nuances and you understand, you start to understand how Jane comes across to other people. And, yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah. Right. And she's just not aware of it. Um, and, you know, the same thing as with Eleanor. She maybe is not aware of how she comes across as other people 
uh, comes across to other people. It was a very, it was, I'm, yeah, I understood the comparison. Um, you you know, and I think I, I, you know, from my understanding, the, the story kind of came about from, um, an article you had read about a woman who just sort of would go home from work on a Friday and then just not talk to anybody until Monday. And, you know, that's, there's something, um, somewhat sad about that. And yet, as someone who doesn't, like, I sometimes do that. <laughs> so, mm. Like, I just, you know, like, I'm a very internal, introspective person. I'm an introvert. And so I'm sort of like, I wonder what people think about me. <laughs> well, I think the difference, um, so the, the, the article that you referred to there was a, a piece about loneliness. And um, I guess the differences between solitude and loneliness, so solitude is a, a positive choice that, that lots right. of people want and need and, and take active pleasure in, in the circumstances that you've just described. But then loneliness is something that isn't a choice, it's uh, imposed upon you. And um, that, that's a big difference, I think. And in Eleanor's case, um, I think she, solitude is something that she likes, but then she's also lonely. Right. Because it, she has, it goes beyond what she would choose to have yep. and enjoy into something that's imposed upon her. Yeah. I think, I think that distinction is important the difference between solitude and loneliness. And I, yeah. you know, and I can say as someone who actually does actively seek out solitude, that there are times where you sort of set yourself up for loneliness because if you actively choose solitude all the time, um, I think it becomes more difficult for people to reach out to you. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, loneliness can kind of set in. So I, I think the distinction is important, but I do think they are connected in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, you um, started this book when you were closing in on your 40s, and it's become this big mm-hmm. thing. Do you have any words of advice for writers who maybe think it's too late for them? I I always, I hesitate to give advice (laughs) purely because, you know, there's, there's absolutely no right or wrong way to go about it. And, um, if, if you read a piece of advice and you try it and it doesn't work for you, that, that doesn't mean that you're not doing it right you know it's, it's such a personal thing so what what works for one person won't work for another so that's the that's the sort of caveat I would put around it <laughs> fair enough <laughs> but um that said I think it well you know it certainly isn't too late um you, you know there's no luckily writing is one of those things that um it doesn't really you know age is absolutely no impediment to it so um hooray for that <laughs> uh and also I think the the the, the piece of writing advice that's that's cited quite frequently, but it, it, I do think it's, it applies to everyone. It, it's just you have to read a lot. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more helpful than that. And read very widely as well, outside of your own genre that you intend to write in. Um, it doesn't really matter what you read, if, whether it's great or whether it's not so great. You're still learning so much about how to write and how not to write, how to tell a story, how to write convincing dialogue, how to pace a story and how to pace reveals of backstory, all kinds of things like that. You're you're almost subconsciously absorbing that as a reader. And then when you you begin to write, you can go back and read 
as a writer and, and say, I wonder, look, how did they do that? Mm-hmm. You know, take technical, take technical things from it that you might not if you're reading for pleasure, as it were. But I, I think um, I think reading widely is is just the most helpful thing you can do. That's not a very innovative piece of advice. I'm sorry, but um, I do think it's really important. No, I I agree. I think that's that can't be overstated. What kind uh-huh. of what kind of books do you like to read? I mostly read fiction. Um, I'm just in recent years I've started a bit to branch out into nonfiction, but I'd still say you know 99% of the time I read fiction and I. I read pretty broadly, actually. I read pretty widely. Um, contemporary fiction, historical fiction, classics. Uh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a voracious reader, and I always have been ever since I could read. So, um, yeah, I've always got a book in my hand. <laughs> uh, so we are a library company, and we fully support libraries. Do you... If you have, you know, if you're a reader from young age, do you have any stories or memories from going to the library as a little girl? Um, the library, I've, I've been going to the library since I was a child and, and, you know, I still go to the library. And libraries just feel, I've always just felt really at home in a library, like, it, you know, just a happy place to be, um, to work when I was a student and, and now when I'm writing, you know, it's a good place to work. Um, yeah, li- libraries just feel like home, I think. I have to ask, um, well, first, are you working on anything new right now? Um, I am. I am working on a new novel. I don't want to say too much about it. That's not okay. because it's a big secret. It's not a big secret or anything, but um, it's just that I'm right in the middle of it. And uh, yeah, it's still a... No, no, that's okay. It's an evolving thing, that's all. <laughs> of course. But I'm really enjoying it. I, I love writing Eleanor Oliphant. It's completely fine. I'm working with those voices, but I'm really enjoying working with something completely different and new now. So given how big Eleanor was as a book, does that put any pressure on you for this new one? Or do you are you trying to not even think about that and just write? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying my best not to think about it. <laughs> Because it's something that you uh, you don't realise at the time as a debut author that um, although you know that there are lots of challenges associated with it, also no one has any, no one's expecting anything. Right. Whereas uh, with book two, you know, um, that's a different set of circumstances, and uh, I'm just I'm just trying to write the best book that I can, and just focus on that. That just the the writing itself. Um, that's that's what I'm trying to do. But uh, yeah, it's great. I, I love I, I love writing, so it's a it's a it's a joy to work on. Uh, so at the end of all of our episodes, we have what we call the Nerd Nine, which are nine sort of lighthearted questions. Try not to put too much thought into these, okay? <laughs> I'll try my best. As you say, I'm I'm still a bit jet lagged, so if my responses are a bit sluggish, please forgive me. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I'm still grappling with the time difference. So. That is understandable. Um, what is the last book you finished reading? Uh, the last book was Manhattan Beach by Jennifer Egan. What is a book that made you fall in love with reading? Oh, that's so hard. I know. It's um, a hard one. I'm, I'm just going to um, I'm just going to give a bit of an annoying answer and, and say like every book, <laughs> every book is 
re reinvigorates my love of reading. I love it. What is your favorite place to read? Anywhere. I I will read anywhere. It, it doesn't matter if it's noisy, quiet. Um, I once I get my nose in a book, that's it. I just tune out the rest of the world completely. I'm just happy to get time and space to read, and I'll 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 just do anywhere I can. What is one place you'd like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Um, I'm going to say some of the uh, Western Isles in Scotland. I've been to some of them, but not all of them, because um, there are lots. And uh, yeah, I think they're on my list. What is a favorite holiday you like to celebrate? Like in the American um, sense. I... I, I like all holidays. <laughs> all right. I don't. I... <laughs> uh, cats or dogs? Um, I love dogs, but I, if I had to choose, if you're making me choose, which is very mean of you, <laughs> I would choose cats. <laughs> uh, coffee or tea? Um, I'm going to say as a British person, it's tea. You'll be unsurprised to hear. <laughs> We've had some say coffee, so... Uh-huh. Yeah, every once in a while. It's mostly tea, though. But um, uh, favorite food? Um, again, that's that varies from day to day. So all of it. We can go with that. <laughs> um, I don't have a I don't have a sweet tooth, so something savory. But um, yeah, I can't pick a favorite. All right. And uh, who is one person, dead or alive, that you would like to have dinner with? That's really. I'm so. I'm sorry. I'm so bad at giving my like, questions. Okay. <laughs> it's all right. It's okay. You're jet lagged. It's fine. It's fine. Um. Because again, there's so many. It's so many. If you don't have a person, it's okay. I do, I'm so sorry. It's I'm, okay. I'm, 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 yeah, caffeine required in the form of tea or coffee, definitely. That's all right. That's all right. Um, this last question will hopefully be very easy. But what do you want readers to take away from reading Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine? Well, I mean, on one level, I am just incredibly happy and grateful if anyone reads it. And, and beyond that... I haven't really thought about what I want them to take away. I I think I I think I trust readers um, to take away what they need to take away from the book. If that makes sense, it does. I'm just really glad that they, all I can hope for is that they read it, and after that, I'm I'm happy to to trust them to to take what they need. That's perfect. Thank you, Gail, so much for joining me on the podcast today. Jill, thanks so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.